You've already figured out that 90% of the book of Job is this pondering, this questioning that seems to go on. Uh, You know the story. Job loses basically everything that he has. He loses his livelihood. He loses his livestock. He loses his children. And then finally, he loses his own health in the midst of this story. It is a terrible situation, this ominous cloud that overtakes his life. Friends come, and so much to console him, and yet they seem to fit into the larger equation of his life that has brought trouble, because the words that they speak to him are troublesome to him as well. They continue to try to guide him in an understanding of what has happened and why it has happened in his life. They have told him over and over again, taking their turns, that he must have sinned or his sons or daughters must have sinned. And Job continues to claim before them and before God that he is innocent and that he has lifted up prayers for his children whom he believes are innocent, but he has certainly covered them with prayers for their forgiveness if they did anything that was wrong. It is 30 chapters of dialogue, which is more than you and I might want to ladle out for ourselves at any given moment. It is a bit overwhelming to think of all that Job had to deal with. And yet he was trapped. You have heard us speak about the retributive justice. It is something that captures our mind even today. We want the good guys to win. And that is what we believe will happen. Whoever rides in with the white hat on is the one that should ride out victorious. The good guys are supposed to win. But sometimes, just sometimes, perhaps even more often than we want to admit, sometimes bad things happen for no good reason, at least as far as we can see. A number of years ago, when Sue and I moved from Dublin to Warner Robins, a tragic event occurred in the congregation there. Uh, It was the case that on this particular afternoon, uh, the seventh grade son in this family and his father were out in the backyard. They were tinkering with the lawnmower. And as they had this, this almost perfect scenario of a father-son time together, they heard this crack over their head and looked up to see a rather large limb descending toward them. It was just an immediate reaction for the father to leap out of the way. The son did not know what to do, and the limb hit him in the head and killed him. It was overwhelming to me as a pastor to go into the situation with the family. I had never dealt with anything like that before. And they were dealing with it in the best way they knew how. They knew God, and they knew that God cared for them. But there were such deep questions of why? 
why did this have to happen? And to beat it all, the young boy's name was Christian. How could this happen to him? This young boy whose life had not been in error in any way by their imaginings. Why would this occur? The search for why is one of those searches that leaves us wanting. In fact, we need God's intervention to get beyond it. When Yahweh finally speaks to Job, this is exactly what he is seeking to do, is to help Job move beyond the questions and the answers that have been posed by his friends. There is no apology, even though we may wish for that, some sense of comfort from God that he and Satan have been playing with Job's life and have left him in shambles below. There is no explanation that is offered for Job's life and for what has occurred. In fact, God completely reframes the issue. If you're reading through and you come to this place, you might even ask yourself, what does this have to do with anything? That God would spend time talking to Job about the nature of how he has invented the universe. What does that have to do with the specifics of Job's situation? Here he takes Job on this tour of the cosmos. He speaks to him out of a whirlwind, a cyclone. And as he explains to him that that he was not there, but that God himself was present at the foundation of the world and that the seas show forth the glory of this creative magnificent being and that the stars are so present and the clouds and the dirt and even the lion in caring for its cubs. All of this is evidence of things that go beyond Job's imagining. You can see that he is taken along for this journey that you and I have been on too. In fact, we happen upon it usually. It's the case that it comes to us when we see a sunset or or a sunrise that is particularly overwhelming in its beauty to us. How many of you have spoken to yourselves or if someone was near you have spoken it to them audibly usually? How could anybody see this and not believe in God the Creator? Have you spoken those words before? Have you thought it in your mind? It is a natural part of the way in which you and I react to seeing things that are beyond our ability to fully comprehend. We come to the presence of God in that it is something larger than ourselves. In fact, I would suggest that the reason that you and I are here today is because we are seeking, seeking God's presence. I know well enough that you haven't come just to hear me preach. You have come to encounter 
the living presence of God in this place. And that's more than any preacher can simply lay out before you. It is something that God himself will do. God wishes to be present with us. He wishes to be close to us, not only here but throughout our lives. God wishes to be there. It was the case that it was a clear evening and we saw our opportunity and so we got out in the middle of the night in hopes of seeing a few shooting stars. We spread a blanket on the lawn and the girls joined Sue and I Instead of straining our necks, looking up at the sky, we lay down on the blanket and just simply gazed up into the beauty of what was above us. They began to fall away and get sleepy. I was laying there with Rachel. She was the last one that was a holdout for looking up into the sky. And Rachel said to me, I can't take it anymore. (laughs) I said, you've gotten sleepy too. She said, no. She said, that's not it at all. She said, I'm not sleepy. She said, but I can't take it anymore. I said, can't take what? She said, it's too big. It's too big. And I'm so small. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like a speck of dust? Job was being carried around in order not so that he would simply feel insignificant, but so that he would get his life in correct order. God wants Job to realize that Job is not God. That is a good thing. You and I love to be in charge of our own domains. We want to be seen as being the ones in charge, but we want to really be in charge of what's going on in our lives. God is giving Job the chance to realize that that in and of itself is devoid of the depth of relationship that he wishes to bring into us. He wishes for us to know That not only did he create all of this, he created us. He wishes to be with us. And I know that God is here with us, seeking that we would get that message even today. Isn't he here? Isn't he here? This past spring, we took the confirmation class on a number of field trips, one of which was over to Reverend Jane Page's house. Out in the back of her acreage there, she has built a labyrinth. You know what a labyrinth is. Don't you? It's not a maze. It looks like a maze. She has taken hundreds of rocks and formed out what looks like a maze out there in a section of 
of woods at the back of her property. And if you look at it, you would think, boy, I could get lost in that because that's exactly what a maze is about. You enter the maze and then you go down path after path after path only to find that you've come to a dead end. You have to retrace your your steps in order to get back to a place where you might try another path and then a path and then a path and hopefully get to the end of the maze, which is on the other side of the maze. A labyrinth isn't like that at all. A labyrinth has one entrance. You enter the labyrinth and you simply go where the labyrinth takes you. There's only one way. You cannot get lost on the labyrinth. It leads you to the center of the labyrinth every time. This has been a part of the celebration of prayer in Christian tradition for ages. In the great cathedral at Chartres in France, they found underneath the pews on the floor that there was this great labyrinth. No one knew it for years and years. I mean, originally they had known it, but then they put pews on top of it and they bolted the pews down in place. And now they've removed the pews. (laughs) They bring in chairs in order that when they want to, they can uncover this great medieval structure that invites people onto this path of prayer. Some of the confirmation class got this. They stepped delicately into this place of prayer and walked the labyrinth. Not all of them got it. Let me report to you that some of them considered it a race. They wanted to see how fast they could run the labyrinth. But it was powerful to us as we shared this journey with those who were getting it. You see, what God is doing with Job here is that he is leading him, as you and I need to be led, on this path that ends in God. He takes Job by the hand and particularly leads him out of this endless cycle of grief in which he is trapped. He cannot see beyond it. There is nothing that makes sense in his life other than the grief that he is experiencing. Even his closest friends do not understand the depth of the grief that he is experiencing. Do you know how empty that is? Do you know how dark that is? Some of you do. To be trapped in that kind of grief. God wishes for us to live beyond that. This is the very nature of God. In fact, in all of his revealing of himself, it is the very nature of God that he comes to make himself known as someone who cares about us. This is the story of Christ. This is why we're gathered here in this place to celebrate that Christ is the fullest revelation 
of God's love to us. Not only that he becomes human, but in Christ, he reconciles us to himself by taking on the suffering that is so a part of what it means to be human. God comes to participate in our humanity and in our suffering. Already Stephanie and I are spending time thinking through our Advent sermons. We're trying to get a jump on you in this regard. We're thinking to ourselves, what is this message? Every year it's the same, isn't it? The word that we use to describe it is well known, Emmanuel. But what does Emmanuel mean? That's not meant to be a rhetorical question. I'd like somebody to define it for me. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. What a beautiful message. Emmanuel. God with us. Job needed to hear that. God gave Job relationship. He gave himself, just as he gives himself to us through Christ. This message should not be saved just for Christmas.